sort of fundamental um, models of uh, meditation and life in general is the cultivation of the Appamano states, sometimes called the Brahma Vihara. And both these are useful terms. Appamana means there's no measuring, it's um, no limitations, there's no accountancy, there's no rights and wrongs, it's, it's a measureless quality, um, uncramped. And Brahma Vihara, sublime, not associated with uh, sensuality. Refined. And as you all know, these uh, qualities are listed the Pali, Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka, Metta, generally translated as kindness or loving kindness. Mm. Karuna, translated as uh, compassion. Mudita, appreciative joy, gladness, appreciation, celebration. Equanimity, Upeka. Of course, all these words can land in the wrong place um, and generally do. (laughs) It's somewhat subtler than that. And these are seen as both fundamental food for the heart because they've good in their good heart, their goodwill, their good heart, nourishing, uh, basic. Buddhist understanding is the goodness is not just moral rectitude, but actually feel makes you feel good. Yeah. I mean, it's uplifted, bright, nourished, fed. Yeah. Not cramped, not distorted, not anguished, and happy. And that's the, the basic understanding of what kusala, morality, all these things are about. Yeah. And it's really important to, to get a sense of that because we're so accustomed to seeing moral standards as legal and blaming and punishing. You know, whereas hiriotapa, quality of conscience and concern, is a sense of something beautiful here that needs to be protected, cared for, good heart. Whereas the uh, legal system is, this, this is not correct. It's always looking into the, the mental, legal definitions of things rather than the heartful quality that's uh, connected to our actions. <laughs> so sometimes people don't even really know what their heartful connection is to action. They just do things because they're supposed to or obedient or not get blamed or everybody else does it without really looking into you know, the quality of a bright, Uplifted, fearless, uh, accommodating uh, heart, which is the sense. This is kind of like the, 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 you know, foundation to have this understanding. I don't know where to find that. Uh, This informs uh, understanding of virtue. Virtue and these measureless states are really two sides of the same thing. Mutuality. To others as to myself. That which brings welfare. 
uh, gladness, uh, comfort to myself and others, relieves the blame, relieves the fear, relieves the guilt, relieves the hostility, the fault-finding in myself and others, the way I find fault with myself, find fault with others, relieves that. Doesn't mean we can't see, oh, there's room for improvement here. But that's a different tone, isn't it? You know, if you look at it, there's room for improvement rather than you are an idiot. <laughs> you know, there's no room, is there? <laughs> there's room for improvement. Good, there's room for improvement. Wonderful. I can <laughs> you know, that's the way we should understand our uh, training. Yeah. Uh, there's room for improvement. Oh, I, I would actually feel better and more comfortable rewarding life. Uh, so anything that can do that, can give us those reminders, has to be uh, carefully protected. This is Hiriotapa. Let's not lose the understandings you know, of sensitivity to this heart. And if we don't look after it properly, it can do a lot of damage and cause ourselves and others a lot of pain. But if we deal with it in this, you know, caring way, then it's going to grow. This is basic, there is growth. And this understanding also, you know, room for growth, it doesn't mean it takes away that sense of, I've got to be better. I've got to be better. I should become something better. I'm not good enough. I should be something better. Listen to the tone of that. There's no goodwill in that at all. No goodwill in that at all. It's just strain and complaint made justifiable. Because, yeah, I can see there are room for improvement. But rather than dragging one, trying to drag oneself towards some fantasy with a sense of fear and inadequacy or, or guilt, you know, you start from the bottom where you are, okay, the results of that, the sense of, you know, protection and uh, beginning to feed the heart with goodwill. And therefore, it, when the heart is fed with goodwill, it tends to be smoother, uh, steadier, uh, more healthy. And this is very important to get a sense of that because this whole process we're in, we don't start from a neutral state. Most of us start from an afflictive state, some kind of affliction. And... Uh, this can be through our own reckless actions or the abuse of actions of others or just being in a crazy society where everybody's driven and disconnected from their hearts and dumped with sensuality as a, as a food which doesn't do you much good. Dumped with power, given power which does you no good at all. Uh, striving to be better which does you no good at all. No sense of welcoming acceptance, nourishment. So we're really trying to turn this around. There's room for improvement. And it does improve if we cultivate this fundamental atmosphere 
You know, you can see these good will qualities, good heart qualities. Basically, it's the fundamental atmosphere within which we train ourselves, our hearts, and we'll grow. So even like, you begin to see these qualities of ill will are subtle and diverse. Hmm? Now we might think ill will is directly, you know, hatred towards another, but it's also a sense of pulling yourself down, of not feeding yourself, of having contempt for yourself. Hmm? It's the feeling, a sense of, uh, you know, you know, inadequacy. Mm. What that does. Mm. A sense of perfectionism is a form of ill will. Comparing yourself with others is generally got some ill will in it. Like I'm better than him, therefore I kind of have a slightly, you know, offhand attitude towards him because I'm better than he is. Or he's better than me, so I definitely have a, a, a rather drab, unloving attitude towards myself. Yeah. See, why compare yourself with others? What's that about? Anxiety. Am I good enough? Anxiety is a form of ill will. It's not. Yeah. Anxiety over what you are. You're not good enough. That's ill will. So this gets very subtle and not necessarily do with blatant actions, actions of hostility. And when we review these um, qualities, when the, one of the chants that we do, they're described in exactly the same way. Yeah, and the translations again are questionable, but the main theme is abundant, exalted. Mm. uncramped free from hostility and ill will we kind of large, bounteous, uplifted and so we see how fear, inadequacy uh, judgment um, complaining resentment uh, guilt are all do exactly the opposite to what these sublime qualities do. And if we are in held by those moods and perceptions, then we tend to set up high standards of what we could be with a definite feeling, you can't do it. You should be this, but you can't. Or you've got to work really hard to be that. Now, I'm not saying that effort isn't needed, but consider the difference between, you know, there's room for development here, which is a very positive, optimistic quality. There's room for development. To this is a lot of hard work. Just notice the effect of those phrases on your mind. Yeah, and they they both have a kind of truth in it, but which is the one that gives the uplift? With the uplift. It makes it possible 
to bring forth effort from an encouraging, interested way. Oh, there's room for growth here. Yeah. Oh, there's a long, long way to go, you know. <laughs> Down. <laughs> why, why measure it? Yeah. Why measure it in terms of how enlightened you are or how long it's going to take? Why bother? What good does that do? Yeah. Any kind of measurement, you think, oh, uh, either it's a long way to go on or I'm going really slowly. It doesn't take much, but I can't even do that. Negative. Or there's a long way to go. It could take five lifetimes. Negative result. Why bother? Why not just say, this is good. I enjoy it. It's doing me good. Keep going. Why stop? That's what we call measureless. <laughs> right? You know, so this is the atmosphere. These are not just like sending Christmas cards to people. <laughs> it's dwelling in this atmosphere and recognizing that the cloudy, murky atmospheres that can be so innate to the heart, so innately engendered in the heart through uh, conditioning which is very competitive. You know, social condition is very competitive. Got to perform, got to get good grades, got to work hard, get a job, you know, got to be the good mother, better. Got to be, you know, this push, 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 push. Um, and the sense of self-consciousness that arises with that. You're, you're seen compared with some model that you're not. Very strong social conditioning. So it disconnects from where where what you, where you are. Sometimes people didn't even know that. Never really been in touch with what's happening. This is the atmosphere, and uh, it's not a small matter. You know, the Buddha, uh, Ananda actually, said these are the, the 11 doors to the deathless. And four of these doors are these measureless qualities. This is, so this is not just about being a nice person. These are actually doors to Nibbāna. Right. So this is not just an add-on. This is actually fundamental. Uh, with without these qualities, you can't imagine really an enlightened being being grumpy, negative, resentful, complaining. <laughs> And yet one of our, at least in Britain particularly, one of our easiest ways to form a social bond is to complain. (laughs) That's how we get to feel good company with each other. We can get together and complain about government. Very easy to complain about the government. Very easy. The weather, yeah, complain about that. Uh, Complain about the neighbours, yep. (laughs) 
So you get these kind of topics that people have a few initial phrases and then start to get into a topic where you can bond around a complaint. <laughs> and in monasteries, you get sort of you can get these similar groupings. Oh, clique three or four have a grumble together. <laughs> Uh, it's not not a nice thing to mention, but it, uh, it does happen uh, in my decades of being in monasteries. You know, and complaint groups, three or four, who what's wrong? Uh, you're not teaching the right teachings. Standards aren't proper. Vinya's not correct. Or it's too tight. The Ajahn's definitely off course. <laughs> Monastery is too many people in it, it's too noisy. <laughs> yeah. uh, can't practice here. Yeah. Too many people can't practice. Too much work can't practice. Yeah. Not enough requisites can't practice. And not really seeing well, you know. It's a pretty crippled mind, isn't it? Like, uh, we're looking at the possibility of the chitta realizing unconditioned. Doesn't it mean you've got to get over a few conditions? Right? I mean, doesn't it mean that the chitta is potentially bigger, vaster than any condition? And you're, so you're letting the state of this place get you down? You're letting, you know, you're letting that bother you? When you've got possibilities for freedom and liberation, you're getting hung up about the routine? I mean, you know, being rhetorical, but we do. I remember one senior monk, he spent most of his life I think about 30 rasas before he eventually chucked it in, finding the number of places he couldn't practice in. And he'd go to a place before he decided he couldn't practice there because of something. Cooty weren't big enough for. So he spent at least 30 years in in monastic life, going from place to place, went from country to country, Myanmar, Thailand, West, in all the different places, finding out he couldn't practice there because there was something wrong with it. He never actually got the point that what was wrong with it <laughs> was sitting right in his heart. <laughs> the mind of ill will, arati, negativity. You don't see it. So eventually, you know, he couldn't find the right teacher. Instead, you know, it's pretty good, but something wrong. He didn't really get it right for me. Yeah, and this teacher definitely couldn't do it for me. Yeah. No, and this wasn't one of those things to. So eventually, yeah. and not see it. And, you know, I've been in 
certainly situations here with a grumble group. Yeah. yeah, I was talking about how people, other people can't keep silent. <laughs> uh, and actually being completely convinced of that was the problem. Yeah. And then you place something like, you know, the Buddha's statement. Imagine as you a parable. Imagine robbers catch you and at a crossroads and uh, tie you down and saw your limbs off. And he says, if you find yourself holding on to ill will, you haven't really grasped the Dhamma yet. It's a parable, not a practice. Recommended. Because if somebody is thawing your limbs off and you can't do much about it, then the best thing to do is to, you don't want to make it worse by souring your heart with resentment and hatred. If you want to die, it's best to die with a mind of peacefulness and happiness. That, well, I had 40 years before they saw my legs off. That was good. <laughs> you know, I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. This is arati. Arati is one of what we call the three daughters of Mara. Tanha, Raga and Arati. The daughters of Mara, the fundamental Mara, of course, the fundamental enemy of the Buddha, delusion, ignorance, the quality that binds people in this constricted way, the unliberator, the opposite of the liberator, the anti-Buddha. Yeah. And he has a whole host. Yeah, so in this cosmological presentation, he's got things like boredom, lechery, hatred, and these are kind of obvious. You know, waving their swords and their arrows. And they have the three daughters. Why are they daughters? Because the daughter in India is the one you don't notice. It's the sons you notice. They're the ones who come out. You know, they're the heroes and the villains. The daughters you don't notice, they're in the background. So they sneak in. They sneak in. And they kind of find their way in, quietly. So you don't notice them. So when your mind is infected with craving, you just think, you don't really notice it. You find that the heart is always leaning forward to get, to have, because I need, it's my right, and I should have, and... I need to be, and you don't even realize it, that they are leaning forward to get, to become, to have. And all the things that it projects, when we're in that tanha mode, are completely justifiable, necessary, you know, must have, no doubt. If I can't get it, I feel disappointed, annoyed, frustrated, 
I can't get my you know, ideal situation, which of course is a fantasy, I'm going to feel negative. And that's what happens. The two work together. Raga, passion. You get fired up. So you can have passion is not, you know, raga is not what we call lust, but actually it really means like a compulsive firing up. I mean, you can get passionate about compost heaps or geometry or particle physics, I'm sure. You get an instinctive getting fired up. And you don't notice that because the thing you're fired up about is really important. <laughs> Crucial. Exciting. Yeah. So all the qualities get projected out onto these objects. And if there are no objects, we create them. We dream them up. We imagine them. So these daughters throw the mind forward into these fantasy realms. We don't notice that because they seem credible. And of course, the one that's most credible is negativity. Because yes, there's definitely room for improvement. (laughs) You could say that when you look at the world around human condition, wars, famine, corruptions, violence, pollution, insensitivity, injustice, definitely room for improvement. So you can feed on that lot and get pretty riled up, negativity. And you think, yes, this, this is being honest. Uh, and of course, most newspapers will present you with plenty of RIT possibilities. Newspapers are basically made of RIT, Tanha, and Raga. <laughs> you read the headlines, so you get your fear, hatred, and you read the advertisements, you get your greed. <laughs> and you read the, you know, the entertainment column, you get your passion or something or the other. Fashion's passion. So people self-saturate in that. So we self-saturate in this, (laughs) this impressions. (laughs) And there's a, there's a truth to them. To some extent, some, of course, some media, you know, is pretty much 90% deceit or so twisted and distorted. We saturate in that. We don't recognize, we don't notice because it's not, it's not presented. It's not portrayed. The acts of kindness, sharing, sympathy, nobility, they're also powerful configuration in the human realm. Places like, you know, like a monastery where by and large it's people being very decent. A uh, high degree of decent, sensitive, respectful behavior. And a high degree of allowance for you to be as you are. And a good time, and a time just to find your own space, find your own time. And a, a measureless amount of support, requisites provided. 
and uh, still RT can get blocked that out. It's not a personal quality, it's not like you are, you know, anybody individually, it's just, uh, just recognizing this force. I've certainly been with some of that. This force, cynicism, complaining, caricaturing other people, ah, you know, he's a control freak, Uh, she's always lazy. You hear the sound of the words, what's that mental, what's the heart tone of that? Sour, embittered, yeah, dismissive. And you realize that stays when the words have left. That's what stays in over your heart. That's what begins to wrap itself around the heart. And that's karma. This is the law of it. And it's not just physical actions, it's the results of actions. It's not the actions, it's the results of actions. And it's not just physical actions, it's mental actions, verbal actions. You look at mental actions, mental actions really mean that movement of the heart towards that which is generous, or that which is ungenerous, that which is noble, that which is selfish, that which is condemning, that which is forgiving, that which is compassionate, that which is callous, judgmental, that which relishes peace, that which likes to stir things up, a little bit of grumble, and the results of that wrap around the heart. When the action stops, the results linger. That's the teaching. And those results of those actions the dominant traits and tendencies, dominant flavors of those results become the person. And this is what rebirth is about. This is how it happens. Those you know, energies, those atmospheres, those mind states, the results of them form a perceptual experience means a sense of perspective, meaning and a person is shaped in that cynical person, grumpy person generous person, loving person they shape the heart and the person becomes the shape of the heart and most people don't know this. Or you couldn't understand it until you say something like, are you narrow-minded or broad-minded? 
hard-headed, soft-hearted, spacious, tight. We definitely refer to it as having shapes and dimensions because that's how it's experienced. When the Buddha says either you should know the constricted mind, constricted citta and the unconstricted citta, talking about definitely a felt experience. So we review that, contemplate that, constricted, unconstricted, tight, open, abundant, starved, are able to give, or really, really, you know, poor. And this is the, the results of experience. Uh, and the, the, the twist of it is that some of these results are not because of what you've done, but because of the what you've inherited. So teaching is either through one's own volition or through the volition of another, either deliberately or undeliberately, through the movement and the directive of other people, you cultivate unskillful mental directions. Maybe because of other people, maybe because of the group you're in, maybe because of your upbringing, maybe many, many things. If they've been adopted, you get the result. They form you. The results of those are not just ideas, judgments, they're definitely heart realities that shape. And this is very obvious, isn't it? You see, severe cases of people who've suffered extreme abuse, become very fearful, inadequate, violent, addictive. Not because of what they've done, but because of what happened to them. Whole groups of people. Indigenous societies, indigenous cultures, which were bashed, exterminated, shot, deprived, children taken away, starved, raped, and they're broken people. Not, they didn't do anything, but they are heartbroken, and it kills people, both morally and even physically. So this is not a small matter. The mechanism is impersonal. It's a, it's a, it's a law. If we've been in those influences, they've affected us, you know, and the Buddha only teaches this because there's a way out of it. It's not a final doomed conclusion. Karma is not locked. You can turn it. And a wise person realizes that and gets on with it. Yeah. And this is one of the primary turns of goodwill. And maybe this goodwill is just to refrain from or catch arati and not act upon it, to know it as it is. To know the sense of self-disparagement, this is not helpful. 
I know you. This, of course, is the that mantra that um, Buddha uses, and Lord Porsamedha used to make a lot out of this. I know you, Mara. And in the knowing of it, the arati doesn't take over. You've seen it. So now you're not in it. You're not acting upon it. You're not projecting or following the projections. You directly feel quality of disappointment, feeling fed up, negative. Oy. And this, that's felt directly and not acted upon, and not called a person. There is room, there's a potential for that to release. This is the nature of mind, of heart, of citta. The incredible potential of citta. The truly measureless capacity of citta. This is how Angulimala, having murdered 999 people and about to murder his mother, could say, had some bit of barp there, <laughs> demerit, was able to become an arahant. Turn that around. You think you got problems? <laughs> but if you don't see it, you got problems. Now, nature of citta, this quality, uh, the whole reason or the basis of the Buddha's presentation was called Anukampa, which literally means something like resonating, it's empathy. Kampa is to stir or shake or shimmer. Anu means in the presence of. So it's just a resonant quality. You're with something and you, you echo it, you resonate with it. Or you don't, but the heart does. This is fundamental nature. Yeah. So you don't have to do anything other than just reveal it. It means being sensitively present with the condition. And this is the basis of all these measureless states. You could say it's the most fundamental, quiet, but realizable form of love, which can be, seem like a very high standard, or we can mix it up with passion, or we can mix it up with something we enjoy. But no, this quality is just the sense of shared, open presence, with no judgment, with no measurement, with no should be, could be. It's heartful presence, good sympathy, empathy, and this is the basis. Buddha teaches out of empathy, sees people, gets a sense of, mm, and is moved, moved by that, to offer. So this is some. This quality is present. This is how we learn in the first place, because we're naturally, we look at when we uh, arrive, 
birth, something in us picks, looks around and starts picking up the signals. We resonate with affection or disapproval. Pick it up. And, uh, but the, we start to adopt all kinds of ideas and models rather than retain the openness, sensitivity, empathy. So it's returning, returning to that. You noticing, oh, this is the mind of ill will. This is the mind of, of complaining and irritation. Mm, feels like this. Mm, sad to feel like this. And something starts to rise out of that when we know it as an object rather than as a person. This is the kind of ever-available taproot of these wonderful measureless states. Because from there, there's the possibility of metta, which is a much more activated wishing, you know, it's goodwill, this means, let's go, let's, you know, put something into it, you know, it's a basis of generosity on all levels, a basis of hospitality, uh, healing, medicine, goodwill, just let's put some good forth. Now, that can't happen from just the dutiful perspective, which Sometimes people try to do, try to do some metta, and it's not, it's a nice idea, it's probably better than doing other things, but it's often a sense of, I should, I should have more kindness, so I've got to, something else I've got to do. <laughs> Another thing I'm supposed to do, I'm not a very kind person, really, actually I'm pretty depressed, so... I'm depressed, so I can't really be very kind because I'm depressed, rather. I don't like people very much. If I really like to not have anybody else around, so I don't do meta as well. Well, no, it's not quite like that. You start with feeling the antipathy to other people, which people can experience. How is that? I really want to get away from all these people. Noisy irritating, too much talking, drives me nuts. Instead of, stop it. Oh, it feels like this. Mm, Relax. Feels like this. You see it then. You know it. And you're not participating in it. By not participating in it, you starve it. And this is how the things change, turn. And you meet the suffering with compassion. A sense of people's failings, mistakes, with, oh, you know, compassion. Because they experience the results of that. And you don't want to make it worse. And mudita, a very important cultivation, uh, 
recollecting the goodness. Something I took up as a practice several years ago, every night. Just go through today, just today, recollecting something to feel a sense of gratitude around. Could be other people's actions, or anything, or even my own. Got really disappointed but didn't get angry. Good. You know, didn't turn that, that that thing I'd been asked for didn't turn up on time. I didn't get impatient. Good, you know, celebration. And this, I think, this is a really important thing to recognise, particularly in a community like this, where there is so much goodness uh, in managing and in, in a constantly shifting unpredictable state where you can expect and hope and things break and people don't turn up and things are going wrong just the sense of okay de-stress you know appreciating the goodness of your own practice like that so I really it's important because I as I recognize every night I might die I might my course any day I might die but I like to think of that or <laughs> the end of the day I don't want to go out with a whole set of problems and grumbles and fantasies about what I'm going to do tomorrow I'd like to just go out with a sense of this was good thank you this was good thank you it's a much better ticket to ride out on <laughs> than any other <laughs> it's amazing I've never found a day when I couldn't find something to feel glad about. But if I, <laughs> I before I did that, I could certainly not notice that because of the effect of arity on the mind. We have high standards. Uh, uh, all kinds of lines that we draw, that we try to make work and they don't they're useful but the times when actually everything gets right not that common do you want to linger with that or notice that didn't work but I didn't get upset about it yeah I'm so pleased that she completely lost sight of the occasion, forgot to turn up, but she didn't beat herself up about it. She said, oh, I'm really sorry about that. And we smiled and thought, room for improvement. I'm so pleased she didn't go into a whole guilt trip around that. There's room for improvement. There's room for improvement. Make an effort with friendliness. And equanimity, you know. It comes and goes, doesn't it? And maintaining presence through the conflicted, the joyful. So we're not, don't check out. Don't sign things off. When things go bad, don't think, oh, it's a terrible place, I can't make it. No, no that's, that's, that's one side of the swing. And then this is the most good, wonderful place. He's a fantastic teacher. That's the other side of it. Just stay noticing those 
fluctuations. Stay open. Never close. Never close the account. Never close the book. Never sign things off. Stay there. Stay. Stay. Patiently. Stay. And you'll find equanimity arises, which has got all the room in the world, all the room in the cosmos for every aspect of your being can get inside that and feel listened to, heard, and finally liberated. These are why these are called doors to the deathless. With these, the jitter is able to unravel the person, unravel the wrappings that make the person, and step free. This is why these uh, are to be cultivated, honoured, respected and born in mind. Anyone?